Hi everyone and welcome back to the Digital Diamonds podcast. I am so, so beyond excited to welcome you to today's episode because for this episode I interviewed one of my role models, Natasha Soleil, and we talked about how to build a glamorous, bold and famous personal brand and how to find your dream clients online. And I honestly loved, loved, loved chatting to Natasha. She is such an just such an amazing and inspirational woman and this episode is a bit more businessy than you know marketing-ish so like I usually talk more about the marketing side of things but I think that both of those things are so closely related and if you don't have the basics that we are talking about in this episode ready in your business then your marketing and your visibility really won't reach its fullest potential so I think this episode is so so valuable and I really really hope you guys enjoy it. Welcome to the Digital Diamonds podcast, helping your business shine bright online. I'm your host Laura, very nice to meet you. I'm a digital marketer and online influencer and I help ambitious business owners to create unique social media strategies and establish their brand online. So if you are a driven entrepreneur who wants to grow and monetize their following on social media without giving up valuable time in your business and private life, then this is the podcast for you. Hi, Natasha, and welcome to the Digital Diamonds podcast. I'm so excited to have you on today. And for anyone who doesn't know you already, which I don't know how that can ever happen. <laughs> Feel free to introduce yourself and tell us how you know you got where you are right now, what you do, and also feel free to include some fun facts because I love those. <laughs> Yay! Well, my name is Natasha Soleil. I am the founder of Girl CEO Universe, a platform that helps women build bold personal brands so that they can attract clients and dreamy opportunities on autopilot with ease and uh yeah i'm also a youtuber <laughs> and uh i document my entrepreneurial journey on youtube as well as give women advice on how they can build their own empire um but basically i got started as a freelancer i used to be a freelance graphic designer i actually taught myself how to design and code as like a like a child so I started at like, wow. like at the age eight and by the age 16 I'd actually launched my first business so I love studentpreneurs because I was a studentpreneur oh my god <laughs> that's awesome but honestly like now I know why your branding is so amazing <laughs> yeah amazing okay yeah, yeah. So I got started as a freelancer. I had my own design company at 16 and I just like did graphic design. And I, at that time, though, was severely underpaid because, you know, when you're a student, you think like, oh, I can't charge people that much. Mm -hmm. Like no one's going to pay for that. Hmm. And then as like time went on, I was still undercharging even in my like early 20s. <laughs> and so eventually I um, decided that I wanted to do my business full-time and I wanted to be able to not only 
be creative, but just be able to be creative and actually have money beyond just being a designer. Because actually the reason why I got into graphic design is because I actually have a long history like in the entertainment industry and I wanted to be able to promote myself. And so I actually got more and more into design the more I was in on the entertainment industry side. And so, but I, when it came to charging people and trying to get my independence and not be at like a nine to five job, I wasn't making a lot of money. And I felt like it was because I just could not put all of my focus into it. I thought that maybe me being at a job was like hindering me, which I think it kind of was. So I, <laughs> I decided I wanted to run full time as an entrepreneur. I didn't really know really what I wanted to do because at that time as well, it's also kind of like losing my love for freelancing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I just called into my job. Well, actually first, let me back up. I actually asked a relative if I could borrow $10,000 to really like launch my business my relative said no. And this was like a relative that actually like has a lot of money. So I was just like, Mm -hmm. Oh my God, if they say no, like everyone else, I don't know who else to go to. Like no one's going to give me this money to start my business. So I was so infuriated because not that I felt like I deserved the money, but just because I've known this person has given money to other people to start their businesses, which probably why they don't want to give it to anyone else, but how close we were, I just didn't expect that. No. Mm -hmm. And and so basically, um, I just said, you know what, I'm going to, you know, empower myself and I'm going to, um, you know, just make this happen. And so I basically quit my job <laughs> without giving them much notice. I was on vacation. I quit them, quit my job. And I decided at that same time that I was going to sell my house so that I could get the money because I owned a house. And so I sold my house. I got like a, almost like close to like 70 grand out of it. And I took it and I moved across the country and I started my business. And it was like the best decision ever because like within a year, I'd made like six figures. So I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> wow, that that's what I call commitment. <laughs> and taking risks. Like, wow, Jesus. Like, if I would tell that, like, small town people here where I live, right, they would be like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> that's so amazing. Yeah, well, I got a lot of crazy looks for it. I remember, like, yeah. right before I moved, we have, like, for the 4th of July here in America, like, my family always does this big, like, barbecue and, like, pool party. Mm-hmm. And so I remember that that was, like, the summer that, like, everyone kind of had heard that I was, like, I quit everything and I was moving across country. I stayed up in a room in my grandfather's house like the entire time because I was just so scared to come down and face everyone. And I was having like a nervous breakdown in the room. My mom was like so worried about me, Mm -hmm. but she she was like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm just like freaking out because it was, this is not, my parents are the type where they're just like super plan everything like have money in the bank for days. And here I am this like massive risk taker. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's so, so inspirational though. Like, honestly, it's amazing. Um, (laughs) So do you have a few um, fun facts about yourself? (laughs) Um, Fun facts. Let me think. (laughs) Um, Okay. So one, I am, I don't know if they if this is popular over there, but um, here we have like the Grammy um, 
like the Grammys where like, you know, all the superstars, like, that's like the big award, like in music mm-hmm. that they win is like a Grammy and I'm actually a Grammy voting member. So I actually like help artists like Beyonce and uh, Bruno Mars and all of them. Like I'm part of the voting process on whether or not they get like a Grammy. <gasps> so that's a fun fact. <laughs> that's so cool. Wow. <laughs> a second fun fact is, um, I'm trying to think. Um, I'm also, so in music, I'm also a songwriter. So I also write music. And the third fun fact is, I love writing, if you can't tell. Um, the third fact is I'm actually an author. So I am, I've written two books and I'm working on my third, but they're more so like fiction. So I like love fiction books. And so, yeah, I hope to all get them published um, with um, this editor that I'll be working with and the agent I'll be working with. So I'm hoping to get them all published and actually be hopefully a JK Rowling soon. (laughs) That is amazing. Like you are honestly so, so inspirational because you are so creative. Like you have so many different directions of creativity, like the music and the writing and the design. The business is obviously also creative. So I love that. so thanks so much for like sharing those um, fun facts about yourself. I just always like love, you know, knowing a few like outside <laughs> business facts. I think that's just so interesting. Um, so you said you love writing and I honestly have to tell you as well, like with your content that you put uh, online, like on Facebook, Instagram, like your writing and your branding as well and your copy is so, 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 so strong. So uh, I would love to ask you, so if like someone knows their niche already, you know, they're just starting out with business, they know their niche, they know what they want to do, but they do struggle a bit with talking to the right audience. So do you have any tips for formulating that really strong message that really speaks to that dream client? You know, so how do you do it? Do you have any tips? Yeah, so I think the biggest tip is, is the problem is that when people communicate to their audience, they talk about like the most obvious like surface thing. So like, for example, a lot of people will like when they, if they're like a business coach or something like that, and they're talking and they help like, let's say their dream is to help women like leave the nine to five to like start their own business. Well, the problem is they'll talk about the things like you want to make like 5k a month or 10k a month or whatever that like financial thing is. And the problem is, is that like things like money or things like travel, a lot of the times are very like surface things. And there's things like deeper that people want the money for. So it could be things like, I want the money because, you know, I want to be able to uh, buy my parents a home or, or get my parents out of debt, or I want the money because I, you know, want to prove to my family that they don't have to suffer or come from a place of scarcity. And I really feel like when it comes to messaging, the key to like getting people's attention is to talk about the things that aren't so obvious that they're going through. I mean, that aren't so surface and to talk about the things that they're just like not saying or that they're afraid to say, or that they are scared to say. So for example, for me, a lot of my content is geared towards multi-passionate entrepreneurs. And a lot of multi-passionate entrepreneurs are really afraid to say that they're multi-passionate because Mm -hmm. they don't want to seem like they're not focused. And so I really talk about like the struggle of being multi-passionate and the fact that when you are a multi-passionate creative, 
you know, or multi-passionate entrepreneur, a lot of times you're really struggling because you're struggling to really like fit in this world that kind of like shuns being multi-passionate. And so it's really, I find it for women that are like really multi-passionate. It's really hard for them to build a business because they're feeling a lot of resistance of, do I be myself or do I like follow these rules that everyone is telling me that I have to follow in order to be successful? Now, those are the secret things my crowd is talking about. It's not things like that are so surface, like I want 10K, I want 20K. Like, of course, a multi-passionate person obviously wants to make $20,000 a month or more. I mean, who doesn't? But Mm -hmm. that's not their biggest pain point, right? And so that's like my biggest tip is to like, like a lot of times we think we should say the things that we see other coaches saying, other entrepreneurs saying, and what we really should be saying is what people aren't saying, what people are afraid to say. And that gets you way more um, response than just saying things that everyone else is saying, like you've downloaded a thousand freebies or you want, or you can have the life if you, if you really try to make it happen. Like the things that just are just said over and over again, that people are just like, Oh, like I get it. I've read it a thousand times. (laughs) Yeah. That's so good. That actually, like, I totally agree with you. Um, And also I I love that you just talked about the like struggle of being multi-passionate because I mean, I also consider myself being multi-passionate and it's like so hard because you think everyone has like everyone who's successful has like that one thing that they focus like all their intention like on and you think like, oh, like, do I have to do that as well? Or can I do it? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I love that. I love that. Um, So... Do you have any tips, like you said, uh, you know, sharing those pain points that maybe, you know, your ideal client, your dream customer is afraid to talk about or, you know, what they really struggle with. Do you have any tips on finding out exactly what that is? Is that more, you know, really getting to the mind of the customer of the customer? Is that, you know, questioning people or serving people? Do you have any tips on that? So, okay, so here are my thoughts. And here's the thing about serving is that I don't, I hate when people do like email surveys or surveys that are online because I feel like you're going to get surface responses. I feel like to get a really good like survey, you have to do like an on the phone type like conversation where you can like pull things out of them. If Mm -hmm. not, you'll get like the most surface answers ever. And I think it's because a lot of people just hate like like expressing themselves sometimes yeah yeah. um but I really feel like the trick to really like understanding your ideal client and like knowing what to say is to first like the first tip is to actually try to find your ideal client so I think a good thing to do is to be where online where you think your ideal clients are and then just like stay in that community and just kind of like hang out for a while and then find someone that fits that. So for example, I have a a couple of women that are like my ideal client. I've added them on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I've added, I've followed them on Instagram and I stalk their every move. I'm like, who are they Mm -hmm. following? What content, what do, what are they talking about? What are they reading? What favorite shows do they like? And I stalk them because I want to know like what words they use to like describe their pain. Right. And I kind of like try to like, just kind of like stalk them just to see if there are things that I'm missing that I'm not talking about. And so that's a really good way to like to stalk your ideal client once you know who they, who they actually are. The second thing is, is that because 
we are typically like the mirror of our ideal client. We're just kind of like the version, the future version of them. We're much further along. I feel like the best way to tap really into your ideal client is really just to tap into yourself. And when you get stuck with your ideal client, like, I don't know what to say that'll make them see me or notice me is to focus on yourself and telling your story and to tell your story as the person that was once your like ideal client. So mm -hmm. for example, what I mean is, is that when I write my post, I normally write it from the voice of the old me. So I will like write a letter, like as thinking about like what, like I went through back when I was really struggling and then I'll just flip it. And instead of saying like, I went through this, I'll say, you are going through this. And if that's how I really like connect with them is I figure that it's much easier to connect based off of like similar experiences. And for me to try to figure out like what's in your head, like how do I crack the code in your head? And I think that's where people get lost is that it's so hard to try to like, or it feels like a lot of pressure to try to figure out like what's in someone else's head. I feel like if you feel like you know that client pretty well, then focus that on what you personally have gone through. And those who like resonate with that will respond. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Like, I honestly have to say like your, your posts are so well, well written and they really stand out. So I think we can all learn um, a lot from, you know, how you write. I think it's so like, yeah, like how you said, it's really like different. It's really deep as well. Like, like what you just talk about, it's so unique. And, and I, I really love that. So, <laughs> um, basically now you have like your your message you know who you are talking to um and here on the podcast we like also talk, we talk about a lot like mindset and stuff but we also talk some strategies so i um, did want to ask you what currently your, your like favorite platforms are or like content formats so is it like written content video and just generally any your favorite strategies right now to really attract your clients? And do you have any tips for someone who is just starting out, who has still a small community? Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so, um, okay. So my favorite platforms are, I really love YouTube. Like YouTube is my number one platform. I think YouTube is the best platform yes. ever. <laughs> I think, and I honestly think it's the best platform for multi-passionate entrepreneurs to grow mm -hmm. their brand because you can express your way. Like, like on YouTube, it's expected for you to show different elements of yourself. So when you show up there and you're multi-passionate, it's like a place where you can really thrive on because it's not going to be weird for you to be multi-passionate because most creators on there are, so you can show different parts of yourself. Um, but I really love YouTube. Um, I love being on Instagram. I don't like managing my Instagram feed, if I'm totally honest. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think there's so much pressure to have like the perfect feed. Yes. Oh my God. I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It makes me so, it gives me so much anxiety sometimes. I'm like, I don't even want to post. So mm -hmm. that's why I'm not so active on there as I need to be. But honestly, I feel like, and this is where I feel like in terms of strategy, like the best plat. I think that any platform could be good for anyone, but I think that you have to have a clear idea of like why you're using a platform and what platforms you're using to build your personal brand and what platforms you're using for sales. So Facebook, I'm using for more sales related stuff and to build like a community on there because there's a lot of people that are in my audience that just hang out on Facebook, right? 
So I'm using that for more sales while my YouTube channel is more so for like building my brand. And I think that when you have like a clear distinction from, from the two, it makes it so much easier to use social media to grow your, your business and your community because you're not focusing on having to create the best content for like each platform. So for example, even for like Twitter, like I know a lot of people who are like stressing out over Twitter, like, Oh my God, I got to make sure I share all my articles on there and all that stuff. (laughs) I don't even do that. Like with Twitter, I just use it to like maintain relationships with like journalists and editors and like media publications so that I can get into like media. And so, Mm -hmm. but I don't use Twitter for anything else. So I don't really like stress about it. Yeah, so it's definitely um, all about with social media being selective and really putting in work only like where you really need to. Like, I don't believe in like, like for example, how Gary V says, like be everywhere. I, I really don't believe in that. And you obviously don't believe in that either. Um, so you just said you use uh, Facebook for sales. And yeah, by the way, anyone who's listening, you need to join um, Natasha's Facebook group. Yes, yes. <laughs> please do. Yes. Girl CEO Society. <laughs> yes, we will link it in the show notes. It's, I, I love the Facebook group. It's so um, but do you just, can you just give us like a really quick, maybe like one thing you do like on Facebook, how you use Facebook for sales, like just a quick insight into how you do it. <laughs> I think the best way to use Facebook for sales is to build like a Facebook group. And I feel like that's the best way because it's like email lists are cool. But the thing about an email list is that people don't interact with one another. And I feel like with a Facebook group, you're giving someone like direct access to you in a lot of ways without like committing to them in like a one-on-one fashion. And not only just that, but it cultivates a community because you have other people in the group like interacting with one another. So it's not like you are like solely responsible for like, everything it just takes a lot of pressure off of you but the way that I use it for sales is I just write posts and like I include like a link at the bottom of the post letting people know like the program that I'm running at that time I think the way a way that a lot of people are reason why they're not getting sales on Facebook is because no one knows they are selling anything Mm -hmm. and so I think that's like the biggest thing but I say that you should create or build a Facebook group so that you have an audience to, you know, talk to and connect with on a deeper level, but while also being able to sell to. I'm also in other groups, but mainly I use the other groups to kind of like build awareness about my group. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what I do. And I want to start doing more lives and things like that. But I think that lives are really powerful. Oh, yes. As well. Yeah, I would say use Facebook groups and use your Facebook profile, not your Facebook page, because the Facebook page, like, Facebook is so shady for like not promoting those posts, but your yes. Facebook profile, I know how like scary it is, but it's yes. like, if you do a live on there, right, then you get like way, it's seen way more. And so I, I really believe you should build up your profile in your group, like focus on those two things for sales. Yes, absolutely. Like I totally like agree with you. I have to say I'm still like over on my like business page because I'm um, like, I'm, I'm starting to post like more business content as well on my personal page but it's so scary because like obviously all of the people from like my school and like <laughs> from, like the normal people I say like from my life they see it as well and I went live on my personal profile only once until now because I'm so like scared 
of course like what people will say but that's just like obviously like fears and stuff we all need to overcome <laughs> but anyway um totally agree and so talking about sales so what i love about your message is that like you are all about you know charging premium and you know really high prices and stuff um and I love your approach. Like you actually made me aware with, I remember that one Facebook live, I think you did it in your car. <laughs> where you <laughs> yeah. Why it is actually so important to, to charge premium. And I never actually thought about um, it in that way. So could you maybe talk about that a bit? And also what is actually like a question is, I would love to know when do you think someone is ready to charge premium? I know that's probably such an, like hard question but can you give us your like uh, opinion on that oh that's really a good question um so okay so i'll just for everyone who hasn't seen the live i'll just explain really quickly why you should charge premium so the reason why you should charge premium um is a couple of reasons the first reason is that of course like you know you will find people that are that show up for your programs or your product or your, like, you know, your programs and services that will show up and they will do the work like within your program, right? Like at any price, I've definitely have worked with people that didn't invest a lot that did the work in the program, but it's usually those who like pay premium, like pay a lot that, that are actually being asked to stretch outside of their comfort zone are the ones that are willing to do the work even when the program is over. And if you want to have like clients with like these amazing success stories, you have to have clients that want to do the work, like once the program is over, because let's be honest, like, yes, there are, there are instances, at least with me, where I have clients that get the amazing results while we work together, but it really depends on like where they are in their journey. Um, and I'm just being totally honest because a lot of people talk about like those forty, fifty thousand dollar months and things like that. Like, oh, my client got a sixty thousand dollar month, but normally that's a client that's like been like at their business for a while, so they have like a community. They're not starting from like ground zero. Um, but for those of my clients that are starting at the very, very, very beginning, they obviously by the time we're done, it's just launching their program. So it may take them like six weeks to really get like their first sale, which is totally normal, which is totally fine. But you need a client that's willing to like stick it out for six weeks after your program is over and do the work. And if they're not, then, you know, they're not going to get that transformation. And then it just kind of hurts you because you don't get that testimonial. And then you kind of feel bad about yourself. But the other main reason why you need to charge premium is that if you have a goal of having a big empire, or if you are multi-passionate and you know, you want to start businesses later on, more businesses later on down the line, or if you want to be an influencer if you want to be like Marie Forleo, Gary Vee, et cetera, et cetera. Um, one of the faster ways to like grow your brand and your business is to put effort or put more focus into like paying to build your brand. So what I mean is, is that like, if you charge premium, you have more money left over and you're not just scrounging around to pay bills, right? If your business is barely like just getting by, you're not going to be able to like grow your brand fast because you're going to be so overwhelmed with all the minute details of your business that you're just going to be doing busy work like client work right mm -hmm. and so you need to charge premium so you can do things like outsource some of the things that you're doing to people 
right? So if you're outsourcing like the things you're not good at to other people, then you could focus more so on being the face of your brand, which then helps you grow your brand faster when you're present and you're actually creating content. And the other reason is, is that when you have money, you can hire things like PR, you can hire someone like a publicist to really get you those opportunities that will actually grow your brand faster. So things like getting into Forbes, Cosmo, uh, Glamour, things like that, right? Because when you think about it, it's so crowded at the bottom, like where everyone's just like, just getting started, or they're just like barely getting themselves out there. That's where it's really crowded. It's the areas where you start to get like Marie Forleo, Danielle Laporte, Gary Vee, Dan Locke, all of those areas aren't that crowded. There's only so many really big thought leaders. And when you are in something like Forbes or Cosmo or Glamour, you really catapult your brand because now you're on a whole new level. You have been featured in places that people like Marie Forleo and Gary Vee have been featured. And so it really just takes your brand to a whole nother level. And now you're not competing with everybody that's like scrounging around confused at the bottom. Yes. Yes. That's so honestly, like before you said that on your life and now, like it never was that clear to me. Like it's, Amazing. And I hope everyone listened really carefully right now. <laughs> so when do you think are people ready to charge premium? I believe that you should charge premium right away. Like, I don't believe you need to wait to charge premium. And what I mean is, is like, let's say like your program is like eight weeks, right? That's if you just calculate your time, right, that you're spending with the client, not just meeting with them, but emails, um, you know, sending them voice notes, whatever it is that you do. I would think that for most people, they could agree if we're just using like US dollars, for example, that with working with someone across two months, right? That even if you just charge $3,000, if that's the premium price you started off with, when you break it down, that's $1,500 like a month. That's not that much money, right? So even if you just consider the time you put into it, I think most people can agree that $3,000 is like the minimum, right? That's the minimum you should be charging. Definitely nothing less than $2,500, but $3,000 really is the minimum. And that's just if you calculate your time. Now, something people, I tell them is that, look, when you watch TV, people are willing to spend $10,000, $15,000, dollars $20,000 on like a brand new set of cabinets for their kitchen. They're willing to buy a Louis Vuitton bag or, you know, go shopping and get some like nice shoes, whatever it is. And all that stuff adds up, right? But that doesn't provide a transformation, right? That's something that is like the, these people will love for like a week or maybe two weeks, they'll get over it. The transformation you're going to give someone lasts a lifetime. So it's worth more than someone paying a Louis Vuitton, paying for a Louis Vuitton bag or paying for cabinets. I mean, if you're changing someone's life forever, to where that they have now have the confidence and the know-how to be able to like build their own wealth and create their own wealth and build their legacy and like live the life of their dreams or, or get the body they desire or the man of their life, whatever <laughs> it, it is, that is something that you should charge premium because it's something that will change their life forever versus kitchen cabinets. Like you'll be excited for a week and then you'll be <laughs> over it. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my god i love that comparison and i think honestly like you saying that is so 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 empowering uh, i have to say and so thank you so much for sharing this like it's it's great like it's just great and <laughs> <laughs> um, so what i was also wondering so now we talked about how important it is to you know be really clear in your message to um charge um the right amount of money some like an amount that also gives you more opportunities uh, i was wondering are there any things that someone who wants to build a really famous personal brand a bold brand um something that people should avoid doing when they want to you know build that empire i would say avoid looking at what everyone else is doing so avoid like paying attention to what other coaches are doing because i think like a lot of times when you're building your brand you you kind of like put yourself in a box because you want to focus on being professional or what is currently trending in the industry you just want to fit in i think as human beings we all have this desire to just like fit in and if you want to build a bold personal brand you have to actually do the exact opposite you have to like stand out yes. and i think that when it comes to like what you want to do you need to have a clear idea of what your vision is mm -hmm. so that you can work with a coach that believes in that vision right because a lot of times we work with mentors that don't even believe in our vision and so they convince us to back down from what we really want to do versus teaching us how we can streamline the process and get to each of our goals maybe we can't have it all at once but maybe we could start off with one thing but you know because that that mentor or that coach is like okay like i see all the pieces i see how it's possible let's put out like a game plan of like how you can get that i think it's enough for people when they see like how they can accomplish their vision for them to be able to focus on one thing starting and then you know branch out later on but a lot of coaches don't even encourage that they kind of like ignore that and they just mm -hmm. kind of like suggest for you to do what they do and i just feel like for especially for multi-passionate people like a lot of times that doesn't work and what happens is that they feel so much resistance that they just stop showing up online altogether and that's like mm -hmm. worse than just you know doing it and like finding things out along the way like i think perfection really does kill more businesses than failure does because yeah. there's no such thing as failure you just do something different mm -hmm totally agree so basically people should avoid looking at other people they should really embrace all of their passions and not just you know listen too much to what other people say and also not be too you know perfectionistic like i always tell that other people as well like <clears throat> before or basically perfectionism held me back for um years to really start my youtube channel as well or you know really anything that i wanted to start i really had to get over myself because like perfectionism you're always like oh i'm not ready i'm not good enough i can do it better like blah 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 and you really think that you know like everyone who is successful they must be perfect like really perfectionistic because otherwise they wouldn't achieve those great results but only if you just do it right and get over yourself you can achieve those results so i think like i totally agree with you definitely yes 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 and i think the other thing you know just for your listeners out there that it's just so important that i think a lot of people need to understand is that like 
your personal brand does not have to like directly reflect your business. Like it can't, it, it should, it should intersect in some sort of way, but it doesn't have to be like, for example, yes, your business, like, especially when you're first starting should only serve one audience. It should only like, it should be crystal clear how you serve people in your business, but your personal brand can be an assortment of things. Like it doesn't have to be like, so for example, I'll give an example. I love using people that are vegan because I feel like they are just a great example, but okay. Let's say like you are somebody that's vegan, right? And your business, maybe you give like, maybe the whole concept of your business is to create like vegan meals that even meat eaters could love, right? So it's things like helping people because, you know, when you're vegan and a lot of your friends eat meat, you know, mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, it can feel uh, frustrating because everyone's like, oh my God, like you're eating that. I'm eating this. Don't put that pressure on me. And maybe you just want to figure out a way to like get your friends on board, but in a way that they could actually enjoy it. So maybe you, you are a business that helps you know, people who um, are vegan, like create meals that are also non, that are also, you know, tasteful to people who like, or tasty to people that like meat. Your YouTube brand, for example, right? You can talk about veganism in terms of like foods and meals, right? But you can also talk about vegan makeup. You can also talk about vegan fashion. Why? Because the collective as a whole is, you know, um, on board with that common theme of veganism. Everyone shares that same value and that belief, that same idea. So if you are multi-passionate and you care about like fashion and like makeup and things like that, you can talk about that on this channel if you just tie it back to your, like your common goal of, you know, being environmentally friendly, animal friendly, things like that. And you can really build an audience around that, right? And then you can just have your business that basically focuses on just the vegan meals. Like there's like so many ways that you can do that as a multi-passionate person. And it's, and it's not even something where you have to like infuse all of your passions all at once or like all of it, like at the same increments, like you could talk mainly about food, right? Like vegan food on your YouTube channel, but then maybe you have like a series on your channel that's about vegan makeup or a series on your channel that's about vegan fashion, just because it's something that your audience loves as well, that you're also passionate about. You can do that when you separate your personal brand from your business. And while of course, like in your personal brand, you'll mention your business, but you need to understand them mentally as two separate things. And I think that's where people get confused is that the business should have a certain niche, but the but the personal brand can venture out quite a bit. Yeah, that's so, so true. And it's actually quite smart as well to have that personal brand that has, you know, different branches. I mean, if they are all still kind of in the same direction, as you said, with like, you know, veganism, for example. But it's so smart because you do attract more people who have like the same interest. And so it Mm -hmm. gives you like a broader base of people who could be potential clients so it's actually really smart yes and they all have the common the same common goal of being animal friendly and things like that so it really just works out really uh, really well but I think where a lot of people go wrong is they think like because I'm multi-passionate my business has to reflect all those passions and your business doesn't but your brand can and 
I think where a lot of people need to understand is that we are living in a Kim Kardashian world where (laughs) basically it is expected for you to like share different parts of yourself. Like it's expected for you to do that. So being that it's expected for that, it's not really like, you don't have to be, you don't have to worry about not being taken seriously if you do it the right way. And I think that's really where for multi-passionate people, I really do believe that most multi-passionate people should work with some sort of coach or be in some sort of program that focuses on helping them figure out like, how can I bring this all together in an authentic way that doesn't like confuse my audience? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's great. And it gives like, I think it's a really great thought because it gives multi-passionate people a lot of freedom as well. Um, yes a platform Mm -hmm. platform to express themselves so uh, what I wanted to ask you because I just think that's such an interesting question um if you woke up tomorrow and you had to start all over again with building your personal brand what would the first steps be like now basically Mm, the first step would be to start a youtube channel (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) um I would probably do everything the same. I think what would change is like, okay, so if I were to do everything all over again, the first thing I would do is like, I would just be myself. Like I would not try to create a business that like, I feel like I should do because someone else told me to do it. Like when I first launched my, started my business, I started off with YouTube and while I love YouTube and I love talking about it, I think YouTube is the best platform ever. I didn't like talking about SEO and analytics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't like talking about that, but I felt like I had to talk about that in order to be successful. And I really underestimated the fact that there are people on YouTube that really just struggle with content creation and staying consistent. And so I feel like that's more so in lines of like personal branding of like content creation. And mm-hmm. so I would have started off there and not felt like the pressure to like always talk about like SEO and views and things like that. And that's where I felt the pressure. I felt like I had to do things that I didn't want to do if I wanted to make money. And I learned that that's not necessarily the case. And so that's probably what I would do differently. Is I, I would, I would actually believe in my vision from the get go. <laughs> nice. Love that. Love that. So it's like, uh, that's like, it's so true. Like I think, always but especially when you're starting out you are just always looking at other people and while it's like obviously important to learn from others it's also important to really do what you want to do because if you don't love it 100% you just won't do it with your full heart I suppose so that's um um so so true and my last question that I have for you is uh, could you give my listeners like one action step they can take right now after they finish listening to this episode to really start building their personal brand or up leveling their personal brand okay so the first step to building your personal brand is to find a niche and to really get clear with what your niche is that is the foundation to building a brand and a business and what i want to let everyone know is that Building a niche or finding your niche isn't about like restricting yourself. It's not about, um, uh, you know, hiding your best self or your best parts of yourself or your creative passions. And I say this because a 
a lot of people feel like finding a niche is like the worst thing ever. It's so stressful. And really finding a niche should be so fun. It should be a fun process. And really what finding a niche means, it just means figuring out what you're specializing in. So what your specialty is and what audience you're going to be speaking to. So that's all finding a niche is. It's not about like reducing yourself down to like one topic. You know, again, Mm -hmm. going back to the vegan thing, you can be vegan and talk about healthy meals, but also talk about other components of veganism, right? So it's about like finding your, your, um, that one thing you're going to specialize in and that one audience you're going to speak to. And I say this also to say that the way you want to think about this is just think about a doctor, right? So when you go to a doctor, you have your general practitioner and then you have people that are like specialists, right? And the general doctor doesn't make nearly as much as the specialist. So when you don't have a niche, you are in the general realm. When you have a niche, you become a specialist. And when you don't have a niche and you don't know where your focus is at, it's like going to a doctor and you're let's like you go because you broke your ankle. And then all of a sudden they start asking you if you want a pap smear, right? Mm-hmm. And then they start saying, can I check your like arms and your elbow or, and other things? And it's just like, that would be weird. And you would just want to like leave. You're like, I came from my ankle. Why are you <laughs> asking me about a pap smear, right? And so that's what I tell people to think about is just think about like, when you don't have a focus and your messaging all, is all over the place, you make your audience feel uncomfortable. They don't really know how you can help them. And so they never buy from you because they're just not sure how you can help them. And when you have a niche, you then have a focus and can actually tell people what you specialize in, how you can help them and who this is truly for. So that's really the first step to building a profitable personal brand is like starting off with a niche first and, you know, going up from there. Yeah, that's true. Like I also always, you know, talk about um, the importance of having a niche and having something you are really, really good at. But I love how you said as well that it's not about restricting yourself because you can still, as we talked earlier about with like your personal brand, you can still express all of your um, passions and it's amazing. It's just amazing. Um, and by the way, now that you talked about doctors, really made me think about Grey's Anatomy again. Do you watch Grey's Anatomy? <laughs> I've watched a couple of episodes, but I haven't watched it in so long. <laughs> oh my God. Like my mom and I, we are so obsessed. Like we watch like two episodes every day. Like it's actually so hard <laughs> to stop watching it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, just, just a side note. Um, Natasha, how can my listeners find you? <laughs> Yay! So you can find me at um, girlceouniverse.com. Um, in terms of my social media, you can subscribe to me on YouTube. If you just search Girl CEO Universe in on YouTube, you can find me there. And in terms of Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, everything is Girl CEO Universe. So you can find me if you just go to girls. If you just search Girl CEO Universe anywhere, you'll find me. <laughs> Yay. So I will link everything in the show notes so that you guys can all check that out. And thank you so, so much, Natasha, for coming on the show today. You brought so much value and so much just motivation. Like I feel so pumped right now. (laughs) 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please head over to Natasha's social media, follow her everywhere, join her Facebook group because honestly the content she's putting out is just like so good. We can learn so much from her and yeah, I would just love if you could join the group and let's hang out together because Girl CEO, um, Natasha's Facebook group is also one of my favorite Facebook groups. So I would love to have you in there as well. And again, thanks so much for listening to this podcast episode and you will hear from me in the next one. Bye.